When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how are you doing, buddy? I have Alice Cooper's School's Out for Summer song in my head. Just playing on repeat over and over and over, but I'm doing fantastic. I do feel like it's the opening of the movie Days of Confused, which is one of my posters behind me. I don't think anyone's noticed that, but that's the that's the Party at the Moon Tower poster. If anyone's ever confused, one of my favorite movies. It was on. I have for whatever reason right now my cable is tuned to Flicks, so I'm, I don't really watch TV. Like for the yeah, most same. part, I, I watch all the streaming services. But so every once in a while, just via random channel flipping. I'll land on a random channel, and then when I turn my TV on, it's the only time I watch it before I get into yeah, whatever yeah, streaming service really I'm watch watching. Yeah. And so right now, it's on Flicks, and Dazed and Confused was on when I turned the TV on like two days ago. I was like, well, I have to watch it. It's such a good and movie. And it was right before they throw the pain on Ben Affleck. It was like right before that moment. So, And then it's the – are they in a gas station or a drive through when McConaughey pulls up and tells him – party at the moon tower it's it's like a drive-through you know like the old like yeah, a sonic yeah, yeah. you know that's, where okay, you can pull up and yeah, go up yeah. yep 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 party, party at the moon, moon tower. tower heard the party full, got full, busted full, not to worry full, ke- full kegs everybody's everybody's gonna be there no i showed that movie to my wife and she's like okay you know it's nice but it was like i for me i it's one of those movies i watched liked it and every time i watch it i like it more and more and that so much so it's in my top 10 might be even top five movie for me I, I'm, a link, I, I'm a link later sucker man i mean we, even like Apollo ten and a half that came out a couple of years ago, the animated one. I watched it and I was like, "This dude just—he's got me. He's we, got me in the palm of his hand." Just started uh, before sunrise, and I've never seen it. So, uh, or You've any, never seen it? Nope. Oh and my god! So we're watching it. We're about—we were halfway through, and then we had to put, or about half hour through, we had to put uh, my son to bed last night. But the whole time I was like, "This is great. This oh, is it's great, so good, dude." <laughs> I know. We were. Um, Case and I were talking about which movies are set in Greece and we could watch. And when we got home, if we were like feeling nostalgic for our, our Greek honeymoon. And Before Midnight, the last one is set in Greece, but it's about them in like their 40s looking back on all the mistakes they made <laughs> and just like, and like doubting all of their choices. And, and I was like, I'm not sure this is the best movie to watch right after we <laughs> get married. It was just so like the I, beginning. <laughs> I, I think we're going to leave that one on the cutting room floor. But the other one that is set in Greece, it's very obvious, is Mamma Mia. Yeah. And so there's a. In Santorini, when you walk right on the edge of like other caldera, like between the two cities, there's a, a movie theater, which is and it's an outdoor movie theater, just a wall, and they project the movie on there and they give you headphones like a silent disco. So you can listen to it in different languages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so every night they play Mamma Mia. So if you look at the schedule, it just says Mamma Mia every night. And we walk past it multiple times and each night it was like right when it was starting, like, well, here goes Mamma Mia again. Here we go again. That's a thing. Yeah, here we go again. <laughs> My my, <laughs> that's uh, my dad is a huge ABBA fan, and so he loved, wow that, right? that, that I did not see that coming right. coming out of nowhere. I mean, very, the songs are great. He's a very musically varied guy, which I've always appreciated. Like he liked Earth, Wind, and Fire. He likes a lot of classic rock stuff. You know, I love the Beatles, all which everyone does, of course. But like all over the place with his music. But he is a sucker for disco. And so, like, even, like, with the Bee Gees, I, until later in my life, didn't realize the early Bee Gees songs and how, like, wow, these guys have beautiful voices and everything. And I love that. And he's like, nah, Saturday Night Fever. That's what I want. Like, th- he only likes the disco stuff. So, he's pretty happy that, like, ABBA's kind of coming back. Oh, yeah. We played <laughs> so, Gimme, Gimme a Man after at my wedding. It yeah, on that's the right. Yes, playlist. Yes. Oh, it's such a good song. And uh, so, I saw Mamma Mia, the, the play, the musical here in Vegas when I was like 12 years old. and But my dad, of all of us, was the most excited to see it. And I have an older sister and a mother, of course. And he was the one that was most excited to see it. My dad loved show tunes. My dad loved show tunes. My dad was like 6'3", like 260. He was a huge <laughs> man. And he, when you go in the car, we had a 10 CD changer in his like 2001 white Suburban. And the 10 discs in there were like Miss Saigon, 
uh, Phantom of the Opera, Wicked. Oh, like wow. those were all of the CDs in my dad's thing. My dad loved show tunes. So he's just like this massive man in his like football coach outfit. Yeah. And he's just like throwing on that's, Jersey boys in the car whenever we got that, in there. That's like my dad with a straight face. People ask, what's his favorite song? He's like, Dancing Queen. And, and he's like, that's serious. He's not trying to be funny or anything. He's like, no, that's his favorite song. Yeah. It's the, I love, I love the, the CD in the car thing with, uh, I think my dad had six in there and it was Neil. Maybe it was six. Maybe yeah. But, was, but same it. thing, but it was yeah. Neil Diamond. Uh, the remember the Titans soundtrack. My Great dad, call. my dad was a big fan of that. The reservoir dog soundtrack. My dad was a big fan of that one. That's one that you have to do. Beatles one was a big one in there and then uh and then i think it was abba's greatest hits and like bg's greatest hits that was kind of like this what i remember from my youth and like music driving to like basketball and baseball tournaments in my youth i feel okay doing this because this is a mailbag show and this is essentially a mailbag question that we're answering this is our last mailbag show as nate was alluding to with the schools out for summer and the days and confused this is nate's last show for a little while as he takes his very well-deserved and delayed <laughs> paternity leave here for the next month or so. So I will be programming uh, your friendly neighborhood football uh, podcast over the next month or so. We are sorely going to miss you, but uh, we have one more mailbag we're going to dig through. A lot of fun stuff here. A lot yeah, of fun questions. Very. Some easy breezy, a lot of, but I think good stuff to dig mm-hmm. into. So let's start this with one from Andrew Constantino, who says, I'm in the same stage of life as Robert and Nate. I'm 36. I got married three years ago. I just had my first child three months ago. Does that make me too old to wear a jersey? Is it only acceptable if I attend a game in person? What about if I watch a game at a bar or a friend's house? When is someone too old to wear a jersey? Thank you for answering my silly fashion question. P.S. The absurdity of the condiment question inspired me to submit this. He also asked an addendum where it was if it's a different type of jersey. So like, I think this is football jersey specifically. Yes. I think after you stop going to Lollapalooza in 2008, you're no longer allowed to wear a sleeveless basketball jersey in public as an adult man. I have an answer. that That's my quasi answer. I yeah. was never a jersey guy, but I did for two years in college have a Ricky Rubio Spain jersey that I did wear to festivals. But that that's, was- That's all it's for. That, that's totally acceptable. 2010 was the last year I wore that. So it's right after he got drafted uh, by the Wolves. Uh, you know, They passed on Steph Curry for him, but we'll not talk about that. Um, never been a jersey guy overall. Uh, I did have a sick Barry Sanders Oklahoma State jersey in high school, though. And I really, other than that, that's all the jerseys. I think I had a Matt Jones Jaguars jersey, um, which is wow, random, right? I know. I mean, that's I an incredible piece of memorabilia. I hope you I, still have that. I think if, I do you, somewhere. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Because I, I thought he was going to be great. You know, my dad That's like the, the ultimate festival gear, wearing a Matt Jones jersey for many oh, different reasons. I haven't worn that in years and years. For you was... guys who don't know, I don't. we don't have to dig into it yeah. now. For those of you who are maybe a little bit too young, go go Google Matt Jones yeah. Jaguars. Or, or Matt Jones Arkansas highlights. Yeah. There's a seven-minute uh, highlight on YouTube. Someone made it in like 2008, too. It's like old, OG YouTube. And it's playing uh, Song 2 by Blur. You know, classic. <laughs> you know, so it, but that it's one of the most fun college highlights you ever watch is Matt Jones. NFL highlights, we won't talk about it. I don't think he created a yard after catch in his entire NFL career. But uh, yeah, but that was the only jersey. Also, had some other stuff going on. Yeah, other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. A few yeah, other things yeah, going on. You like to have fun. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. So I'm uh, I'm not the best person to ask for this. But if I did have a, like an answer about like when to wear a jersey, I think a jersey, especially in football, is a special big game moment type of attire if you're older. I think it's a, hey, we're at a holiday party. It's a Christmas game. Okay, got to wear a jersey. Or it's a playoff game. That's how, or if you have a lucky jersey for a big game, you know, winning the division, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I have a staunch one piece of merch only uh, attire when I like, if I'm watching the Mariners in the playoffs, it's either a shirt or a hat. Yeah, it's you not, can't do both. It's not both. It's yep, a, can't yep, do both. Can yep. never do both. I'm I, I, I also have that rule. Uh, but that, other than that, I'm not maybe not the best person to ask for jerseys, but I do think it's worth – you could still wear them in special occasions, especially if you have a lucky one. That would be my like final answer. So this is my hard and fast rule with this. I, I've, I, I aged out of jerseys. I no longer wear them. I, for, I think partially just because I cover the NFL, it's like weird to be right. that tribal in my fandom. Like I still root for the Bears, but there's like lines that I feel like mm-hmm. I shouldn't cross. You know, So I have stopped wearing them a while ago. But I do feel like if you still wear them, if you were, if, if you were an adult man – who wears a jersey? I think the jersey has to be a player who is older than you, yeah. or was older than you, like when you purchased it. So, so yeah. my, but this is a good example. 
my buddy, who I go to Cubs games with every once in a while, he has a Corey Patterson Cubs jersey. Perfect. Which is incredible. Perfect. Right? So because Corey Patterson played when we were kids. Yes. So I think that throwback jerseys are acceptable. Yeah. So I have a Tommy Harris jersey. Yep. You know, Perfect. I have a Julius Peppers Bears jersey. I have all the I have a Singletary Bears jersey. I have a Walter Payton Bears jersey. Like all guys that were older than me or played in a different era. I think if you're 36 years old and you're buying there's that stand-up who, joke who I, that I can't remember who said it, where it's you're wearing a young boy's work shirt. Yeah, I I do I do not support wearing the young boy's work shirt. Like if you're going That's to a wear a jersey, out. it has to be somebody a throwback jersey or somebody you watched when you were a kid. Yeah. You can't buy a new jersey at 36 for a 21 year old boy. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Why do you have to say 21-year-old boy? (laughs) Because it's a young boy's work shirt. That's that's what it is. that's so true. Like, if you're a Bears fan and you're 36, you can't be buying a Fields jersey. No. 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 But I think Erlacher, fine. You know, totally fine. Encouraged to go to the game in the Erlacher jersey. And I, the, the weirder, the better. Yeah. Like the Corey Patterson one is perfect. That's My perfect. buddy is gonna hold on to that thing for all times. Like if you have like an RW McCorders Bears jersey, you wear the shit out of that thing. Like never ever stop wearing that thing. That's such a good one. RW McCorders. I know for the Vikings, it'd be like, oh man, like if somebody had a Jake Klein Saucer. Klein Saucer. I was gonna say Jake Reed. Klein yeah. saucers are great. Even Culpepper now, because of yeah. where we're at in this like day and age, Culpepper would be a great one now. Or like a Kevin Williams or something like that. Yeah. That's this is my early fandom. Yeah, but I never owned a Vikings jersey. I do have a friend named Sam, and I have to bring this up because he's just kind of has this kind of luck in life. Every jersey he bought, that player ended up getting cut, traded, or suspended. That's why and, you gotta go old players. Yeah, yeah. So he went like I think in high school he went Chris Hovan, done. Then the next one, uh he had another one that God, and then the third one he got got suspended. The fourth one was he took his Hovan jersey and put a Rasmus James on the back of it because it was still number ninety nine. Because that's what he resorted to by the time he got to jersey four. He's like, I, I can't do this anymore, especially with those early Vikings teams. So um, I like this. This question was great though because it made me think about. It. I was like, man, I don't even know what my rules are for jerseys because I don't wear them. So I, I had to think about it a bit. I've definitely thought about this. So I, I was <laughs> I, that was locked and loaded for me. I had no hesitation. All right, next one. Chris Chris Weering says. Love the show. Appreciate all the content you guys provide us NFL junkies. I'm a lifelong Chiefs fan and as big and as big of a Chris Jones fan as you'll find. I vehemently disagreed with people arguing to trade Jones instead of paying him in 2020, but I'm less certain this time around. He'll be 29 at the start of the season and could justifiably ask for $30 million a year, in my opinion. From an asset standpoint, I understand it may be best to trade him and recoup draft picks or cheaper players, a la Tyreek Hill. But I see Jones as a pillar of the Chiefs' culture and recent success, and he consistently takes over games in the biggest moments. What would you do if you were Brett Veach? What value and length of extension would you feel comfortable handing Jones? What type of return would you want if you traded him? We've really talked about this at all. Yeah. That's why I think it's a good question, because it's just sitting there. Yeah, I don't really think he should be a trade candidate where the, the Chiefs are right now. There, there was some yeah. there was some like noise about that. There, there were rumblings about that. Yeah, I, I, I looked at a three-year deal. Um, and I think that would make sense, especially where the talent is on their roster. They have so many guys on young rookie contracts that are play, you know, tangible players that I think now you, you can make a three-year – like Aaron Donald got a three-year $95 million extension. That was basically all guaranteed. And uh, Chris Jones will be a couple years younger. He is not – you know, he's 90% of Aaron Donald, which is still saying something. Aaron Donald's Aaron Donald, but he's still the ace of your defense. And that's why I think it's not tradable. I think Tyreek Hill is way more tangible to be tradable because you have Travis Kelsey and Mahomes and offensive line and Andy Reid. Chris Jones leaves. It's like, whoo, that's a big gap that you'd be trying to refill and hopefully and never probably find a player of that caliber. It's very rare. He's a perennial all pro. He barely gets hurt. He's missed eight games in seven seasons like that. That's worth paying. So I think as the ace of your defense, I think it's a a three year 90 ish million ish contract. That's how I look at it, where it's more a little bit more front loaded because of the young contracts that will end up having to be paid, but they're on a rookie deal right now. That's how I looked at it. Yeah, I think some uh, three years is exactly the, what I was thinking about. Yeah. Three years, 83 to 87 million. Yeah. And $61 million guaranteed. That gives you the second most guarantee. So if you're looking at the guaranteed money handed out to Jeffrey Simmons, Jerron Payne, Dexter Lawrence, mm-hmm. all of those guys are at $60 million about. So I would take it right above there, above. and I would put the AAV right behind Aaron Donald. Yep. And the reason I would pay him, and the reason I think this is different than the Tyreek Hill situation, is that there's no Patrick Mahomes on defense. No. 
use the, the Patrick Mahomes of their defense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the window that you, and I know the window exists for as long as Mahomes is yeah. alive, but having a, he was my defensive player of the year. Yeah. Like, I think he's one of the best defensive players in the league. Like yeah. it, it, right up there near he was the top. third for me. So the top three in any way. Like, he is form. a, and we, what do we talk about during the, what do you need to win the Super Bowl show a week ago? You need that guy. Mm-hmm. You need that guy who can take over games for you defensively. You don't need 10 of them on defense nope. to win the Super Bowl, but you need a couple. Mm-hmm. And he is that guy for them in the front seven, even after they spent some resources, Carl Loftus going to get a man who whatever. Yeah. This little window that you have, he's a huge reason that it's propped open. Yep. So I think you just ride with him because the Tyree kill trade is a bet on Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. That bet doesn't make as much sense when it's Steve Spagnolo and yep. Trent McDuffie yep. and some of the other guys that you have on <laughs> Carl defense. So, yeah, what yeah. you just said. Yeah. I, I think he's a necessary component of yep. the current makeup of their team. And even if it's a little bit expensive, he's not 32. No. If it's a three-year deal, you're getting 29, 30, 31. Perfect. Yeah. It's fine with me. Ages, I, I'm, I'm willing to ride it. And it's an interior position. They age a little bit better because they don't require yeah. so much on the outside. And also, like you talked about, I, I love the that episode we did where we were just talking about the breakdown of the Super Bowl rosters because where you brought up, brought up the pressure thing where a guy has to get hot. And just like a quarterback has to get hot. It's easier when it's the star that can get hot. That's totally. The, that's it. So it's like, what what – we're making the bet. It's like, does it, it can come from anywhere. Don't get me wrong, but it's easiest when you have the star either at quarterback and at pass rusher. And I would not move away if you have both of those guys, especially when he really is in the prime of his career and he doesn't miss much time at all. He misses a game a season on average, basically. So, yeah, let's yeah. say he was on a downturn. Let's say it's the not. decline <laughs> was starting and the, and the curve had switched directions. You're 32. Yeah, not 29. <laughs> but even age, age agnostic, just yeah. production wise. Yeah. In my opinion, you might have had his best season last year all the way through the playoffs. Yeah. So I, I just think that you have to consider that. Okay. And remember, what was the number we talked about where it's pressures per game in the playoffs is the yeah. guy that you need? Three playoff games for the Chiefs last year. How many pressures do you think Chris Jones had? 17. 20. Yeah. Okay. So blew so, it out. We're good. Yeah. We're good right? Yeah. We're good. If, if that kind of guy playing that type of way at the mm-hmm. end of the season when you need him to, I think you have to hang out of that. Player. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Bella, let's get to our first voicemail here. Hey, Robert. Hey, Nate. Um, name's John, calling in from Canada. Love the show. My question has to do with a bit more of a historical kind of dilemma. Uh, I'm a bit younger than you guys. I was, I was born in 1999. Me and my friends are all about the same age, but we obviously love football. And I, I find myself getting into a lot of arguments with them a lot about uh, certain historical players. Uh, to me, Walter Payton is the pinnacle of you know, football greatness. And obviously I'm a Bears fan, so whenever I bring this topic up, I get a lot of eye rolls amongst the boys. But I kind of just wanted to know, you know, what are your thoughts on their their kind of counter-argument? They seem to think that athletes in the NFL during the 80s and the 70s were of lesser quality than the athletes in today's game. I just wanted to know your guys' thoughts on that argument. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. What are your thoughts on this? Because I have some. Okay. Um, if we're talking offensive alignment, I would say they're uh, inferior quality in the 70s and 80s because they're so much smaller. But some yeah, of these, it's different, different body types. Different body I mean, types. Just, yeah. But if you look at other positions, especially running back, these guys are built the same and uh, just as athletic. I mean, if you look at Peyton, Eric Dickerson, Earl Campbell, Bo Jackson, I mean, the top running backs were all-time athletes. They just don't have the technique and skill or I'm sorry, the coaching and the skill and all the training that the guys modern NFL do. But trust me, I'm a big advocate of more modern sports is the best sports, you know, as like as far as athletes and everything going on, especially in sports like the NBA. But it's like some of these guys, once you hit a certain type, like if you look at their body types, you watch the old videos of these guys, they're it's kind of an any era type of guy. And I think Walter Payton's one of those. So Walter I Walter Payton weighed two hundred pounds. Yeah. I mean, he was a 5'10", 200-pound running back with 1970s technology at his disposal. Right. You don't think Walter Payton could be 5'10", 215, 220 with right. modern techniques? And not going to a 1AA school, uh, yeah. HBCU. You know, like, yeah. He's, he's I During lockdown, I watched a lot of old NFL on YouTube, and I have a new appreciation for Walter Payton. Where I was he was like, insane. He's insane. It, he's easily the best player on the field at all times. So like, you watch it, you're like, well, look at that guy. Your eyes can't come off of him. He's amazing. Go back and for, I would I would challenge your friends to go back and watch some Walter Payton highlights. Yeah. There are backs who won with power, who won with speed, who won with shiftiness, you know, in 
they were majored in one of those mm-hmm. traits to be great. Walter Payton was all of those things. He was perfect. Walter Payton could beat you to the corner easily if you gave him any sliver of daylight. He would run dudes the fuck over. Mm-hmm. He was so incredibly powerful. You hear Jim Brown talk about him, and that's what really stuck out was the toughness and how he ran and how he would just absolutely just he refused to go down. I mean, yeah. he, he just refused back up. To, to slow down ever. He, the the power and the will that he ran with, plus what he could do making guys miss in the open field was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yep. And this thought that he was the best player on the field at all times, I think is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Walter Payton was on two all decade teams. Done. 70s and 80s. Okay. <laughs> like the second to last, Walter Payton was the all time leading rusher in the history of the NFL before Emmett Smith, who played 17 years compared to Walter Payton's 13, ended up breaking that record. The, it's not like Walter Payton hung on for five more years than he should have. Walter Payton was a second team all pro, his second to last season in the NFL. Yep. And the other thing I go watch Walter Payton's highlights throwing a football. Yeah. He, he's one of the best athletes to ever play professional Correct. football. Absolutely. He, on the run, could throw the ball 55, 60 yards. He threw eight touchdowns in his career. And if you go back and watch some of those, these aren't mechanics. like Ladanian Tomlinson 20-yard little lofted balls in the red zone. He's oh. literally throwing the ball 50 yards on a fly on the move to Willie Galt down the sideline. It's crazy. It's insane. And he can catch... I what I mean he had he, 50 catches in a season in like yeah, the 80s in the 80s when it was not any I, I when I was watching those games I want to say they're playing the Eagles and one I was watching and he had a screen or a swing pass and he just catches it one-handed without even looking at the ball and it's like the only other person I've seen do that in the game is Randy Moss and this is a running back doing it in the 80s <laughs> and 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 he was a blocker like that's what everyone talks about how made, he how I described him when I just had my little one-liner in my notes was Sweetness makes sense because he was just so graceful, but he was also so tough. Yes. He was just so It's the perfect combination. It's what fo- perf- he is the He's embodiment of what football should be. Yep. Where there where's that great it's the grace and the beauty combined with just this physicality that yep. is completely necessary and, to survive. And intelligence because yes. of how smart of a player he was. No, he is a complete football player. Like I kind of did like a little mini list of like, where would I stack him? Like if I did a top ten. I, I Top five, top six. Like, and I can't, then that's like, I might even have him higher if I like really thought about it. But he is, I, like you said, challenge your friends to go watch those clips because it's, it stands out where you're like, that's just a modern athlete. And that's in the eight, late, early 80s and late 70s playing on AstroTurf and Soldier Field and all those terrible fields in the 80s. It, it's just fascinating. All those old running backs are so much fun to watch because you, I mean, Eric Dickerson's like 230. Earl Campbell's like 240, 5'11", 240. Like, Jerry Rice is 6'2", 200. You know, like, these guys are built just like how guys are now. It's just that, you know, it was just a different type of game at the time. But they're still just fantastic athletes and amazing players that absolutely hold up. And I assume most people who think about Walter Payton think about Walter Payton in the 80s because the Bears in the 80s were obviously very good. Like, the 85 Bears are one of the greatest teams of all time. The Bears in the 70s and Walter Payton got drafted to go to Chicago were horrendous. Terrible. They were one of the worst franchises in the NFL for like his first six years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And this guy was putting up 1,500 yards a season, five yards a carry behind some truly despicable offenses. Yep. And that's important to remember. And then yeah. when they got good, he maintained that production. He mm-hmm. never fell off until the last year of his career, ever. God, so it's, just, it's yeah no so what we're saying is you're right <laughs> you're on the right side of this argument with your buddies because i'm telling you i am a guy that is a huge believer it's like anything before 1984 whatever in sports but it's like with some of these guys it's like no any era these guys are all timers and when you watch them you can see why they were all timers Walter Payton really had 12 seasons before the last year where he completely fell off. He was a first or second team All-Pro seven times in those yeah. 12 seasons. If you want to list them off, and this is what another part of his question, like all-time football players, where does Walter Payton rank? Like There is a short list that probably involves in some order, like Lawrence Taylor, mm-hmm. Jerry Rice, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Brown, mm-hmm. Randy Moss, mm-hmm. Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and Walter Payton is like right in that conversation yeah. with like truly like the greatest players that have ever played the game. So I... I he, you, you are correct and your friends are wrong. <laughs> yes. He's top 10. It, yeah. No matter how you shake it, he's top 10. And that, that's and <laughs> it's really not much of an argument. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's get to the next one. Hey, guys. Big fan of the show. Um, as a Buffalo Bills fan, I saw that the fan base was kind of split on the extension of McDermott the other week. So I just kind of want to know how you guys approach, like, the hot seat debates about particularly coaches of good teams that have yet to win a Super Bowl. So I feel like McCarthy and Dallas could be in that camp. I don't know, maybe Vrabel. Uh, how long of a leash does Matt LaFleur have after not winning it with Rodgers and now Rodgers is gone? Like, what would need to happen for San Francisco to turn on Shanahan? I don't know. I just wanted to know how you guys kind of approach those conversations, what kind of things you guys look for. Thanks. Goodbye. I understand the frustration if you're a Bills fan based on the way the last couple of years have gone. I said it in the moment. I was there in that divisional game when they lost to the Chiefs. And even sitting there that night, there's something heartbreaking about knowing that might be your best shot. Mm -hmm. And that's how the NFL goes. And we're going to answer a question about that later. You know, that's how it happens in this league. You have no, there's no guarantee that you'll be back, but I still think that guys that consistently win every single year are incredibly hard to find. Yeah. You know how hard it is to win 10, 11 games a year in the NFL for it's five years, it's let not alone luck. like 10 years like it, some of these guys have done? It's not luck. <laughs> There's something to it. I mean, what could, I mean, I, I just, how I look at this is so much of this is based on situation as far as like what the quarterback hot seat is. And that's why, you know, brought up a couple of guys in this question, but really it comes down to the, the Supreme Court ruling on obscenity, you know, I know it when I see it. Like you, you watch the Cardinals last year, and you're like, oh. Eh. Yeah. You watch the Panthers last year, you're like, eh. like, yeah, this ain't working. But I don't know. I, I, they went what 13 and three last year. <laughs> We're good on both sides of the ball, and they played hard. They played smart. I, I don't know. I, he did use kind of the first, um, card that a head coach maybe under a little bit of fire can play or can do, which is. I'm going to fire my defensive coordinator and I'm going to call plays, which is the first card that you can see. But I think the extension is well deserved. Uh, also, it's like he does not deserve to get shot and hammered. Like, you know, going, no. you know, 13 3, 14 2 and getting fired. I, I just think that this team was so bad when he took over. And a lot of the culture is on how he runs the team. It starts at the top. That's not by accident. And they have Josh Allen. He seems to have a great rapport with their star quarterback. I don't know. I just don't see there should be any smoke or flames there because I just think he's done such a great job. Yeah. And I think that the McCarthy thing in Dallas is a, is a good thing to bring up. We, we answered yeah. the Mike McCarthy question last time, but the bills have played well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they, they won a game last year. Ran, yeah. They ran, <laughs> they ran into that chiefs team and, and yeah. just got unlucky two years ago. I don't think that they've hit a wall, like no. a really a, a definitive wall in the way that Dallas seems to. And I also think like you just mentioned, it's important to think about what these teams look like before these guys got there. You know, Mike McCarthy, that was one of the most talented rosters in the league. Like that was a ready made team that he was taking mm-hmm. over. Jason Garrett was also just the wrong person to be mm-hmm. leading it. I, I think that with Sean McDermott and the role he has played in Buffalo, it was just a different sort of conversation. Yeah. Like look at what the Steelers have. Look at what the Ravens have. And, how beneficial it is to kind of ride the wave with some of these lulls because you have a guy that you know is the right person in charge. You know, those seven and nine seasons with the saints, like it kind of seemed like they were hitting a wall and in actuality, like, no, like you kind of ride these down moments and there hasn't even been a down moment in Buffalo. So I think that we are too quick to give up on a lot of these coaches who are consistently putting you in positions to win. Well, that's what last year I, I had a, I think it was a Thanksgiving game against the Lions for the Bills. And I just saw a lot of Bills fans on Twitter just not talking about even McDermott, but talking about Dorsey, Ken Dorsey, offensive coordinator. And I, I kind of surprised me. I was like, you know, statistically, he's doing way better than what the, the offenses were doing in the past. 
And it's just, that's what it is. Is sometimes you're caught in the moments and caught in that kind of like, oh, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. And it's easy to do it. I get it. That's how sports is. And, but it's also got to remember how the downside could be. I'm glad you brought up the Steelers because I mean, that's the two most, they have the most important spot, which is the quarterback. And then it seems like they have a good, solid, organized head coach. It's two of the biggest check marks you can have. I would not revamp it because I just don't see a need to, because I just think what's going on right now is working. Yeah, I mean Shanahan, same kind of deal. Like oh. Lafleur, same kind of deal. Like these guys get a lot, should have a lot of chances after this season to show you what they can do. Basically, the Shanahan will be done. fine. <laughs> they're they're trying there. to fire Kyle Shanahan two years ago, and it's like, <laughs> good luck, guys. Oh, yeah, just a couple conference championship games with insert quarterback name here. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to get to that here with our next <laughs> yeah, question. Right, exactly. All right, let, the, let this one rip. Hey guys, this is Eric from LA, huge fan. Uh, my question is. Have we begun to marginalize the Shanahan quarterbacks? If a quarterback puts up, let's say, Matt Ryan MVP numbers, but is done in the Shanahan system, a wild example would be Brock Purdy. If Brock Purdy puts up, you know, Matt Ryan MVP numbers, would he get MVP discussion from you guys, or would it be something along the lines of, well, he has the players and he's under the system? And if that's the case, have we reduced the MVP? trophy, which is already kind of quarterback-driven, to simply which quarterback has the best numbers of the top six or seven most gifted quarterbacks we have. Um, you know, I love the show and can't wait to hear you guys. It's a reasonable question. Mm-hmm. I would implore people to go back and look at the numbers that Matt Ryan that's, put up in 2016. That's exactly what I was going to say. B- before we just willy-nilly <laughs> think about Brock Purdy putting up those numbers. Yeah. Matt Ryan averaged 9.3 yards per attempt in 2016. Yeah, they were insane. If, if you average eight, you had a really, really good mm-hmm. season. 9.3, 10.1 adjusted yards per attempt that year. It's one of the best offenses we've ever seen. Ever. And that it's that's the combination. And it's hard to parse this, right? Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. But it's almost like what Aaron Rodgers was doing over the last couple of years, where it's like, okay, the system is doing... A, a good amount of lifting and he's putting him in the right position. But when your efficiency numbers are astronomical, yeah. it becomes a different sort of conversation. Then there's an understanding of, okay, this is what the normal ceiling is for insert quarterback here with this offense. I am watching a quarterback lift that ceiling off of the system itself and bring it to a different level. I think and that's exactly it. If that were to happen, if Brock Purdy were a quarterback that showed he could do that, and it showed in the numbers, it showed in the eye test, all that, then absolutely I'd start yeah. having that conversation. I just don't know if he is. Right. And another part of this is that just let's step back and watch the football games and just use like a little bit of common sense. Like what is actually happening? What is the quarterback doing in the overall recipe of what the offense looks like? And I think that's why it's important to look at last year's MVP conversation between what Mahomes was doing and what some of the other quarterbacks in the league were doing and just saying, it's not just what the stats say. It's Mm -hmm. not just what the EPA numbers say. Like what is actually happening? Like let's try to digest what is actually happening and try to separate this stuff as much as we can because that's also a huge part of this. Yes. I, I it's really funny. I basically three bullet points on this is literally the same points. Uh <laughs> Matt I said they puts up Matt Ryan MVP like numbers said, Hell yeah. One of the most efficient seasons we've ever seen, like ever from any quarterback ever. Like <laughs> it's like Peyton Manning seasons, some Mahomes seasons, some Brady seasons, and there's two thousand sixteen Matt Ryan, and it felt real. And that's another thing is a lot of these guys, the Jimmy G's, the world, even Brock Purdy that came in, Mullins, all these guys in the 49ers stint in this offense, they're playing well, but they're still at the seventh best quarterback, eighth best quarterback. If you look at the metrics, it's not yes. number one, number two, number three, number four. And that's where I, your last point you make was the last point I was going to make it is when you watch all these teams and I get it, me and you watch the whole national scene and we watch a lot of games and some people consume just their team. And so the exposure to maybe what else is, and maybe national TV games, I'm not making fun of it. I get it. That's just how people consume the game. But when you watch how much influence each quarterback has on their offense, you can feel it and can see it and go like, yes. well, that guy's carrying it. And that guy's like, well, he's throwing it and the guy's taking it to the house every single time. Or wow, that they're running it for 10 yards a pop. And then he throws a play action. that's wide open. You kind of get the feel of like who really has the influence on the game. And so just like you're saying, I, I agree. That's what it is. You kind of, you have to see some like 
outlandish stats, and then you watch the games and go, wow, he's just making play after play and throw after throw, as opposed to where it feels like he's getting a little, hit, getting hit a lot of easy buttons. I can understand the frustration of oh, yeah. only a certain level of guy, only a certain subsect of quarterbacks totally can win the MVP, but it's the most valuable player award. Yes. It's not, did this guy play well this season? Correct. Who is the most valuable player in the league? Inherently, the most valuable player in the league is probably going to be one of these five or six quarterbacks who are the outlandishly talented guys. They're more valuable because they're outlandishly talented. <laughs> yes. Like, I'd like to read off the list of guys who have won the MVP award in the last like 10 years, okay? Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Adrian Peterson, which is that'll never happen again, most never. likely. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and then we get into more running backs in 2006. It's the best players. It is. Like the best players are the inherent are inherently the most valuable players. And I think that is going to consistently happen and that's okay. It is. Like the the best example I would say recently where the numbers were really, really good, and the team success was really, really good. But by trying to divorce what the quarterback is doing from what the offense is doing, you can kind of get an understanding of what the actual input is, and that's Jared Goff in 2018. Yeah. In 2018, the Rams went 13-3. and Jared Goff threw for about 4,700 yards, 32 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. He did not get one MVP vote. There was no consideration of, do you think Jared Goff might be the MVP? Part of the reason is that was the Mahomes 50 touchdown year. Crazy year. But even in in another year, like Drew Brees got MVP votes that Mm -hmm. season, and Drew Brees' numbers that year weren't that far off from what Goff was doing. I think Brees got five first-team all-pro votes that season. So I just think that there's a way to do this. Like mm-hmm. there is a way to add some critical thinking to it, even if it becomes a little bit frustrating that only four or five guys can win the MVP. I think in reality, four or five guys probably should be the ones That's, in contention to win the MVP every yeah. single year. We can't have twenty guys in the elite category. <laughs> it's it's three, four, five, six. It, it has to be like that. Like that's just just the numbers game. And all the points you're laying out is exactly it. it. It's like it has to be a special award for special seasons for special players. And sometimes situation helps with that, but they usually have to have a baseline for it. And that's kind of where it is. All right. Next question here. Chris Dezera says, hey, guys, love the show. Just made my life listen, listen to the condiments mailbag answer. What, this what a good woman. question, man. <laughs> a poor woman. So I was wondering if you guys could talk about Travis Kelsey's value a little bit. I genuinely expected him to come up in the most valuable contracts conversation. He's a little unique, but if I remember right, Aaron Donald got a name drop in there. Kelsey was far and away the primary passing game option in an elite and Super Bowl winning offense last year. How valuable is Kelsey's deal for the Chiefs from a roster building standpoint? Has the way his impact as a player is understood changed given the Chiefs' success after the Tyree kill trade? How does Mahomes impact the way Kelsey is perceived? And do you think the tight end market corrects in the near future after the wide receiver market exploded a couple off seasons ago? This is a great question because we didn't bring up tight ends at all in that show. And as I sit here and think about it, there's probably an argument to be made in the same way we were talking about the non-Aaron Donald, non-Chris Jones defensive tackle mm-hmm. category that the Travis Kelsey or like right in that line, the elite pass catching tight end on a second contract might be more valuable than an elite wide receiver on a second contract because of the gap in what those guys are making. He's making his similar They're, cap hit right now to Hunter Renfro this yeah. year in <laughs> Cortland Sutton. And Travis Kel- Travis Kelsey's what a top four pass catcher? If you if like, uh, yeah, top uh, three, yes. <laughs> top four, or five. I mean, if, we're, if we're t- if we're tiering it, yeah, he is he's, he's on the like the top tier or yeah. like right at the top of the second tier. Yep, S tier or top of the A tier. Yeah, that's what he is. And yeah, uh, no, this is a great point because that is super valuable. It's half. It's half. And I know he got his extension a couple yep. of years ago, yep. but even beyond that, like guys getting tight end extensions now aren't getting that sort of money. But we've talked about this too. Like we've hinted at just talking about even a guy like, uh, I'll just throw a name out there, like Dalton Schultz. Um, but a guy that can be an auxiliary target, like number two or number three in your passing attack, and you're only paying him eight mil, nine mil, 10 mil, that is. There, there's a nice little money ball there. A little it, surplus it's, there. It's very real. It's and I very think that's real. The, the TJ Hawkinson trade, I yeah. think, is a really good example of that, where you can just get a guy for, you know, it's it's decent draft capital. You know, I think in the end, it's like a the equivalent of like a second or third round pick when you look at but, all the pick swaps and things like that. But think about what other guys are going for at other yes. positions and what you're having to pay them. And I assume the Vikings are going to try to extend TJ Hawkinson. And what are you going to have to pay TJ Hawkinson? Jacoby Myers makes $11 million a year in free agency. Right. Okay. You're, I don't think TJ Hawkins is going to be making more than that 
right? And if he does, and, it's maybe twelve. Like you know, yes. it's, but but and, that and that's still near the top of the market. I guess I guess David Njoku is making thirteen point seven. Okay. But even that, right? Compared to what the wide receiver market looks like, I think there is value to be had there. Really? So let's say Hawkinson Christian makes Kirsten thirteen. <laughs> yes, right. It's five million dollars cheaper. <laughs> so I think if you can find that elite pass catching mm-hmm. tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Based on what the tight end market currently looks like, yes, there's definitely right. value there, and we probably should have mentioned it. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I think definitely, but I mean, there's what three of those guys right now, uh, you know, and that's another thing too. It's like, yeah, if you can find one of these guys, but that we've talked about how hard it is to get a tight end. Like it, it's it's a hard position to scout, it's a hard position to develop. So, but when you do hit, hold on to them, like because it's like you can't find these guys just on the street. You can maybe trade like the Vikings did, but like you said, they had to give up a little bit of draft capital. But no, I think like. What if Kyle Pitts becomes what we think he could be, or what he what, what he was as rookie? Well, that that's going to be a fascinating conversation. That harkens back to what the Jimmy Graham discussion was like. Right, when he was getting his second contract. Right, where Jimmy Graham's Jimmy Graham and his agent are sitting there being like, "This is bullshit." Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, there's, there's no way oh, that I'm a, a tight end based on what guys are currently making, and I think Travis Kelsey has. As good oh or better he of an outside all the time, but yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, barely in, in, in line anymore. And when he does, he's like. He, he's the king of the, oh, I just missed my block, it, it, which just always cracks me up. When he pulls, he's like, oh, the guy went wide. I couldn't get to him. But it's like, whatever. You catch 100 balls and 10 touchdowns. You can do whatever you want, Travis. And he's also a great golfer, apparently. I, I watched the match last night. Oh, my God. Like, Incredible fit, by the way. Did you like that? I, the pants? Oh my God. The pants were, I don't know. Was that Nike? Uh, uh, his, I don't know. I love, yeah, yeah. He, no hat, too, in Vegas. Vegas summer and wearing no hat. You. That's that that's that's some balls right there. But my Irish skin couldn't take that. Uh, but the but I think exactly it. if you get one of these elite guys, one of the true true elite guys, and I'd say Hawkinson is kind of on the bottom of that um, that tier of tight end. It's like yeah, I think that there's absolutely surplus. I try to avoid using that word, but there is to have. And I mean, and also with just with Kelsey, Kelsey was good anyways. But with Mahomes, they got that kind of Stockton. Malone pick and roll thing going right now, which is more just, than the sum of their parts. Yeah, they're both exceptional players, but then they give each other a booster effect, which makes them just past a hundred rating. Like they're they're ridiculous together. So it's a very special pairing, but two very special players. All right, here we go. This is a remember some yeah. question. <laughs> Justin Woodley says, "Hey Robert Nate, loved your podcast on how many stars it takes to win the Super Bowl, but it really got me thinking. You guys talked about how loaded the twenty twenty two Eagles were, but what are some other teams that are the best teams that didn't win the Super Bowl?" Look forward to hearing your answer. Are we doing just the new this modern CBAs, or we can, can well, we you go, do whatever you want? Uh, you never, never. Well, want the first baby. one is 1998 Vikings. That's the first one that comes to my yeah, mind. Yeah, I, I figured, that, yeah, I figured yeah. that would happen. Let's get it out of the way. Uh, don't want to talk about that. I was my childhood ended very quickly because I was I was really blessed to be cheering for Vi- 90s Vikings, 90s Mariners, 90s Sonics. Times were great. Then A-Rod left, Griffey left, Randy Johnson left. 2001 Mariners were great. And then the Vikings kind of just did the Viking stuff. But anyway. 2001 Mariners in other sports is uh, not a very good one. Yeah. That's the last time they hosted an All-Star game. They're doing it again this year. Not as good as that team, though. 2007 Pats, of course. 2018 Rams, which we talked about. But then I started looking at the other teams in the new CBA. 2014 Seahawks was the one that came to my mind. Uh I got another team that year. The tw- the 2014 Packers were Packers, also right? Yep. loaded. That yes. offense was incredible. And they they it gave that Seahawks team all they could stand. You could also throw the 20 the 2012 Seahawks were also fantastic. Also another good team. Yes. And they did not win the Super Bowl. Yes. They ran to the Falcons that year, right? Was that that was that yes. was that crazy Falcons yeah, they playoff lost the game, Falcons. right? Yep. I actually didn't watch that game because oh. I was traveling to another playoff game. So it's like a weird blind spot in my football watching history is that I just fun? didn't watch the Seahawks Falcons game that year. That was like there's a, a stretch 2012-2013 any Sunday playoff games because I was a GA at Pitt. So it was like I was always working on those days and didn't get to watch those playoff games. Same thing. But even uh two thousand six Chargers was another team that came to mind. Yeah. Speaking of Schottenheimer. Uh, they went 14-2 that year. Five first-team All-Pros, six total, 11 Pro Bowlers. And then they lose in the fir- – well, they've got the bye, but then lost their first playoff game, and Schottenheimer gets fired. Like that – God, that team was good. I remember them being really good too. 2013 Broncos, 2012 49ers. The 2014 Broncos were also Broncos fantastic well. because they were a top three offense and they were top five defense. That's when the defense was 
figured it out and then Peyton hadn't fallen off the cliff yet. It was like exactly kind of that, that little. I mean, you could absolutely you could make an argument that 2014 Broncos. I mean, I, it's not even an argument. The 2014 Broncos were much much better than the 2015 Broncos. Oh yeah, when you consider yeah. the offense and the defense, and absolutely. they did not win the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a little easier when you win one the next year. But that's why I, the two and then two that I would come back to, and again, it hurts a little bit less because of everything else that happened in surrounding years. The 2007 Patriots, obviously, mm-hmm. the 2011 Patriots were. Unbelievable offense. offense. Unbelievable. But they were the third best offense in the league that year by DVOA because it was one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. The Saints that season were unbelievable. And the Packers. Packers, Packers, right? That 2011 Packers team that was 15-1. and And Rodgers won the MVP. I wonder if... uh a, a mini lockout where uh, everything got pushed back and anything <laughs> to help out with offensive play that year. <laughs> the two that I come back to because it's just staggering that they only won one Super Bowl are those two Packers teams. The mm-hmm. 2011 Packers and the 2014 Packers. I The 2014 team, I was covering the league full-time at that point. I, I was very interested in that team. I wrote about them multiple times. I wrote a big story about the offensive line that year. And that group was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, just a really best offense in the league. And they lose that heartbreaking game to Seattle. And you look back and you just think, how did that group only win one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers? And it's seasons like that that kind of remind you of it. So those are the ones I would come back to. Those two Patriots teams, the 2016 Falcons, mm-hmm. and we, we just talked about Matt Ryan's season mm-hmm. that year. And then the other one is the Bills team we just talked about. Yeah. The, the fact that the 2021 Bills did not win the Super Bowl with the way that their defense played all season and with the way that their offense was playing by the end of the year, yep. you just run into the, the boogeyman at the end of the road. I mean, yep. that's just how it's gone for so many of these teams so often. And the 2019 Ravens are in this conversation. Yeah. 2019 Ravens offense was unbelievable. And their defense was top five. Mm-hmm. And they just have that weird game against Tennessee, and we yeah. just never think about it again unless you're a Ravens fan. Got caught in the Vrabel mock. <laughs> He'll stick you. He'll get you. Also, I thought you were going to bring up maybe some of those uh, Harbaugh 49ers teams maybe as oh, well. Yeah. Like yeah, Those yeah, are yeah. ones I like as I started kind of researching this question, I was like, oh, yeah, those were some good teams. Yeah. 2015 Cardinals. But you know that was. Uh, uh, I, I don't think they they quite ooh. they quite crack the list. But you seven know I have a soft spot in my heart with the 2015. Five Cardinals. all pros and seven Pro Bowlers that year, more than I remembered. And then yeah, 2018 Saints was another one that kind of came to mind. 2018 yeah. was a really fun year. Like yep. the 2018 even, Saints is a very very good one. That was a really fun complete team. Uh, one of the last like hyper elite offenses that they had with Breeze. The defense was just starting to come on. I mean obviously again this is. So many of these teams, like heartbreaking moments, yeah. the reason they didn't win it. The, that Saints team loses in the Minneapolis Miracle. The 2014 Packers lose in the Brandon Bostic onside kick game. Like it, it, it the 2021 Bills lose in the 13 seconds game. Like yeah. all of these teams that were at this level had some like memorably terrible yeah. moment. That 98 Vikings. To, oh. Yeah, I didn't want to bring it up. 2012 uh, Seahawks uh, with the Falcons game. Like, there wasn't like just a quick back and forth, like with a minute to go. It was some yeah, crazy. That's right. It was yeah, some yeah, crazy yeah, at right. the end. Again, like I didn't watch play. that game. Uh, yeah, exactly. I know. I brought that one up. Yeah. Oh, 98 Vikings, though. That's uh, that's always going to. That's I, I was I was a water boy at the time. I hadn't been promoted to ball boy. Uh, but uh, yeah, that one's burned into my brain. There's a picture of the Star Trib, and I want to say it was like Chris Carter or somebody. Somebody was like on the bench, like his head down, and there's me in the background, like picking up a towel. A little third grade me with my childhood ended right there. That's when I realized, oh, not everything works out great <laughs> in life. That was third grade, 1998. I could pinpoint when I became an adult right there. <laughs> yeah, the, the I'm glad you mentioned the Chargers teams because those early Philip Rivers Chargers oh, teams are like absolutely in that conversation. Oh, six through like 08. I mean, they just had so much talent so on both sides of the ball and they never got there. All right. Next one here. Sean O'Neill says, Geno Smith's success got me thinking about a type of quarterback season that seemed relatively common when I was growing up has become less and less common as teams continue to invest heavily in developing quarterbacks on rookie deals via the draft. The bounce back breakout season from a formerly highly touted journeyman veteran, Jeff George and Randall Cunningham with the 98, 99 Vikings. Hey, Nate, Vinny Testaverde with the 98 jets, Rich Gannon with the Raiders, Trenking with the chiefs. Had the Seahawks unintentionally found a new market and efficiency. I've obviously, I obviously understand the logic of trying to find your franchise quarterback in the draft, but with teams tripping over themselves to find the next Zach Wilson, Mitch Trubisky, or Carson Wentz, will smart teams start targeting proven-ish starters with some upside? I worry teams are giving up on young quarterbacks too quickly, and some potentially good quarterbacks are getting thrown on the scrap heap just waiting for the right coach and supporting staff to resurrect their careers. Add to the fact that some of these quarterbacks, like Geno, can be had for sub-rookie contract deals, and there's a case to be made for cheaping out on your quarterback and putting resources elsewhere. It'd be hard to thread the needle with 
this type of plan, but I wonder if it's the type of thing more teams should do, especially if they're just throwing darts at the board, trying to escape quarterback purgatory. Hmm. It's an interesting idea. It is. It's, it's I, my it's question hard. from this. And this is the question I would pose to you. How many guys do you think are out there that could have the type of season Gino had? How many guys do you think were given up on too fast and put in the right circumstances could have a, I'm the 10th best quarterback yeah. in the league sort of year. And that, because if it's one every five that's years, then it's not really a viable. There's only plan. one that comes to mind right now is Jacoby Brissett. Like that. That's and, but that's not even like what his career is different than what this kind of question is. This is guys that maybe had a chance. Jacoby's kind of been like a permanent backup spot starter. Like that's kind of been his mo. But it's like other than that, the, also those kind of examples that I brought up, even those late '90s Vikings teams, and that that's kind of what the Colts were doing the last few years. So like churn through the fats, uh, is that the situation was phenomenal. They had like several all pro yeah. linemen. They had Randy Moss, Chris Carter, um, even the Vinny Tessaverdi example, Rich Gannon with the Raiders, Trent Green, Trent Green with the Chiefs with like one of the most dominant offensive lines ever. Yeah, one of the best uh, running games we've ever seen. Ever. And then the Raiders with were loaded at uh, the Gruden and Bill Callahan years. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's more, it's a hard, it's all situational. I mean, the Seahawks not only got good play out of Geno, they also crushed the draft. And so yeah. it's like there's so many so many circumstances. Just like every quarterback, the situation has to just kind of be perfect for it. I'm not saying I'm saying that if you can do this, awesome. If you can find some retread that you really think that can work, but I don't know. I, I it's it's hard. I think it's just it's going to be so situation and, and so very specific to teams and guys. But there's not many guys out there I think that deserve this type of shot right now. Think about what it took for Geno to not get enough run with the Jets. He had to get his jaw broken yeah. by a teammate, and then the guy who took over for him was this like weird, lovable character who went on an insane hot streak and justified getting one more shot because this moribund franchise happened to show some life when he was their quarterback because the starter broke his jaw. Right. Like there, it, so many things had to happen for us to not see enough of Gino for it to be possible for yep. him to have this meat left on the bone. I think with so many of these guys, Zach Wilson, Mitch Trubisky being good examples, Carson Wentz being another one, the league is so quarterback centric now that you're going to find out. Like oh, yeah. you're going to find out what these guys have mm -hmm. because they're put in these situations where enough is heaped onto their shoulders in 90. Think about the examples that Sean is throwing out here. It's a different era of football. Yeah. Like what you're asking of the quarterback in 1995, you could have these guys that are hiding in plain sight because they're not given enough of a spotlight and enough of a role in the offense for us to find out what they and, really are. And only like 10 or 12 of the offensive play callers are passing game guys. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone's, everyone's passing game. It blows everybody out of the nineties. Everybody. Wait, you can bring up the worst offenses right now. They're ah, passing gosh. games. Well, you cramping. Yep. Oh! All right. Uh, we're coming back to uh, the show here after a quick pause. <laughs> I, Nate was interrupted midpoint because I got a terrible Charlie horse in my hamstring, and now we That's can't so remember what we were talking about. It was something related to Geno Smith. Yeah. Geno, uh, I don't know. Right situation. Talking, talking about, yeah, it's. I just think that it's it's hard to thread the needle. Yes, exactly. That's perfect. What Sean was talking about, where it's just really hard to thread the needle, and I think these guys are given enough spotlight, enough leash, enough time now, where it's going to be harder to find these sorts of players. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe there is a, a Jacoby Brissett is it actually is is a good example. Maybe there's a guy who was a mid round pick. Kirk Cousins is a good example yep. here, right? Where you're not given the opportunity early on because you're a third, a fourth round pick. Round pick. Yeah. Somebody else is given the chance before you are. And then, you know, Kirk Cousins finally gets there, but then ends up having a really long, productive career as a starter. And it only happened because RG3 just kind of, you know, we know what happened with RG3's yeah. career. But I think those kind of guys that aren't going to be given starter sort of reps because of where they were drafted, I think that's your best yeah. chance of doing it at this point. The one this year that might happen is Sam Darnold with the 49ers, which I think is. I was going to, I was going to, Sam Darnold was the one that I, so one of that's, the other questions that Sean asked was like, is there a guy that you just can't give up on? And oh, Sam Darnold Sam Darnold is absolutely yeah, yeah. it. He makes one throw a year and I'm like, yep, yeah, keep my stock. Uh, but uh, yeah, if he can't figure it out here, and if he gets a shot, can't figure it out here, then yeah, that, that's a complete and total miss. Other than that, he's one of the most statistically worst quarterbacks in the last like 10 years. All right, next one here. Devin Averly says, my question this week is, outside of the top 16 betting favorites to win the Super Bowl, who do you guys think will be the most fun team to watch this year? 
I wanted to have a designated team to watch outside of the Cowboys to watch on Sunday ticket. Amazing Potfellows. Also, congrats, Robert, on the marriage. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I, I think we'll probably have similar answers here. I know what your first one is. Oh, yeah. Falcons. Uh, one bullet done. Yeah. Uh, did you see, though, their odds and everything, win total, division odds, and even conference and Super Bowl odds are all – they're all lower and they're all – there's more people buying the site. It's not just you are me. 95% of that you're responsible for. <laughs> Just be pounding the drone. Just, I'm an energizer bunny for the Falcons run game. Um, uh, I would say the Colts are super interesting just because of Anthony Richardson and what I think the offense could be interesting. Uh, Panthers will be fun. Bryce Young, the offense aligned. The defense is cool. Um, the baby cheeseheads, the, pa- the the Packers, I, that's one of my teams I'm checking in on every week uh, until, you know, until – Otherwise, you know, Jordan Love, I'm really interested in the young weapons they have. I love their offensive line and run game. Everything's very offensive centric for my answers. Uh, <laughs> uh, then defense is just the, you know, others. And then actually the Bears. Uh, I'm excited to see what the, the step forward this team takes. I, I really like the coaching staff. That's a staple for you. That's like not like a league pass team. For yeah. You, right? you they're, they're on every single day. Every single they week. get a TV um, of your four screens. Yeah. They're, they're, they're one or two. Oh, they, they have their own screen. You kidding me? Always every, yeah. oh, every yeah, week. Yeah. Bears, have, Bears have the top right TV ever. Every single week. So for me, Top as a right. neutral, they're they're on there. Like they, I want to watch Fields. I want to watch that team step forward. I like the coaching steps. So I just want to see what they're doing too. So, but but that's my that's my five. Falcons, absolutely for me. Yeah. Uh, just because stylistically, I really enjoy watching them. I'm very excited to see what it ends up looking like mm-hmm. with Ritter and with with the weapons that they have. Colts, uh, just, and we talked about this. I think we literally framed it in these terms when yes. we were talking about what success would look like for the Colts. Just tuning in as Anthony Richardson and the other rookie quarterbacks for me too. Yeah. I th- I we, I didn't say this yesterday when we were doing the defensive lessons pod. You know the Texans finished twelfth. Yes, they did in, EP, in EPA for play. I noticed that last as well. Year. Okay, I noticed that as well. And so some of that is their pass rush was much better than you would anticipate it being. They had one of the best pressure rates in the league. It was like mm-hmm. top five. And you know they lose Okonkwo and some yeah. of those other guys. It's like how Jerry real Hughes is this? Jerry Hughes is getting older. Yeah. So it's like all right, how? But Malik Collins has been good for mm-hmm. them. They go get Willie Anderson and they got those pieces on the back end. It's like, could the Texans be like a five hundred team next year? I, is this crazy? I, I was optimistic so, about it a few months ago, so I know. I, I it's kind of weird to say based on how just dead in the water they have been over the last couple of years and how ignorable they have been over yep. the last couple of years. But I'm kind of tempted to throw the Texans in here because I, I want to see what the defense looks like with D'Amico and some of those guys that they have. And then they got a, young, a rookie quarterback. And rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterback always going to be worth Rookie watching. quarterback and an interesting one interesting unit is kind of the formula for this. And yeah. I think – that's a great answer because I'm I'm interested in what they're doing too. Uh, that was uh, I think in weighted DVOA they're twelfth or thirteenth. Like so, because yeah. I, I had one note on them and I was like, oh, the Texans. Okay, lovey. Thanks, thanks for the number one pick, Bears fans. Like <laughs> they they love that too. <laughs> uh, but no, that's a great one. I, I there's a lot of inter- this, especially in the NFC because the, there's a lot of reconfiguring of the NFC teams. It's there's a lot of more interesting teams than maybe just straight up good ones, which I think is fun though. All right couple more here. Brendan Burke says, I was thinking about the impact of veterans like DeAndre Hopkins taking their time and potentially signing free agent deals closer to the start of the season. This got me wondering, are there certain positions where it's easier or particularly difficult to join a team and have an instant impact without much prep time together? Or is it just a matter of skill and experience regardless of position? What do you think about this? Um, well, I think certain positions is just easy because they translate like defensive line is I think you just need a little time to acclimate and just go like you're fine that's it you running drop, back you drop him in there with like one day's notice it's it's easy think I about mean, what Von Miller I was did just the Rams about to say year. look at Von Miller just boom done ready you're ready to rock uh, I would even say running back would probably be the next one as far as like hey take the ball and like okay there's we call this this that's usually what the big thing is is they understand a, the ask but they have to understand what the term for that ask is. So you're translating English to Spanish in their brain. And some guys go, oh, I spent two years in this system before. Boom, I can hit the ground running. That's the biggest thing is when people say they know our system, which most of the time is a cop out for coaches. When you're adding a guy quickly like this, that is a big deal about like, okay, they can pick up the terminology and go. Well, I think um, the best example of that is what Eric Weddle did in the yep. playoffs for the Rams a couple of years ago. Great where call. The only reason it's even possible is because he's already fluent in the terminology. Great the call. That's exact. That's a perfect example. But because like, I with, think that would be one of the hardest positions. Safety? I think safety would be one of the most with, difficult positions to be dropped in and play right away. With the green dot. <clears throat> yeah, with the green yes. dot. Excuse me. Because he not only had to understand it, he had to communicate to everybody else. That Yeah, that's... Uh, 
But like even look, I mean, the Rams are so many of these examples. OBJ comes in. It took him a couple weeks. Receiver yeah. takes a couple weeks to not only just learn terminology, but to build chemistry with the quarterback. Because so much Roquan last year, I think, was a good example of that, where it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. But after two or three weeks, it yep. can happen. Um, you I hopefully think have that, a bye week. The bye week really yeah. helps fast forward everything. That's where you Defensive line's easiest to me. I think quarter, I think receiver, you need a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit of time to understand the offense, chemistry Absolutely. with the quarterback. You know, it slower than it would be with some other positions. I think offensive line, interior offensive line, where you're working with other people, that can take a little bit longer. Yeah. And I yeah. think interior of the defense can take a little bit longer just because you're connected to so many things. That's to communicate. Yeah. That, that's the thing. Because they can know what they want to say, but then they call it, I'm just making up a term, but they're like, Rex, Rex, Rex. And they're like, uh, that means this in our language. But, but in the heat of the moment, you're just going with the first – I mean, look at what Russell Wilson was doing at the first half of the year last year. He was still using old Seahawks calls because yeah. just in the heat of the moment, if you've been doing that for 10 years, it's really hard to switch wiring in your brain. It really is. Some guys can do it, but some guys it's, it's a little more difficult. But I'd say D-line, running back are the first two I think would be the easiest plug and play. They can go after a couple of days and just get acclimated. Quarterbacks obviously the hardest. hardest we've, yeah. we've, we've seen some microwaved quarterback situations like Baker Mayfield last year being the best example. <laughs> but the one I would go back to that where he was the starting quarterback and he hit the ground running pretty fast is Sam Bradford in 2017. Remember when the Vikings traded they for Sam Bradford? For they had like 10 days to get Sam Bradford up to speed to be their starting quarterback. <sighs> and they played that. awesome. The first game that. they played, I was like, holy shit, they look good. Yeah. And then he got hurt like two days later. I can only imagine that. Like meetings. That must be the most stressful meetings if you're that quarterback coach. It, it was. I remember there, there were, people wrote stories about it. It was just like an around the clock. Crash course. Where yeah. Yes. Because you're installing, you're doing a whole off season in it, 10 days and game install. Which is yeah. already a week long process, anyways. Oof, that yeah, I do not envy that. That is, I've heard stories. Uh, Brooks Bollinger was telling me this. Uh, I was working with him at Pitt, another Badger. I was working with a Pitt though, and he came in for the fourth preseason game to Detroit with the Lions because we were talking about Scott Linehan, and he's like, "Oh, I I played for Linehan for five days." And I was like, "Oh, really?" He goes, "Like, yeah, they they brought me in at the end of training camp because they had like quarterback injuries or saving the arm, and I had to play the fourth preseason game after like four or five days or something like that." And he said, like, how they were given the play call, they'd be like, "Okay, so this, you know, da, 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 uh, you know, YF like this X, you know, snag here." Okay, so just read it out, read the front side out. It's it's just a high low. Like he was just in the on the headset, just explaining how to read each play out. Be like, "This is what we call this." But I, I always think that's so funny that. NFL levels can get to that point where they're basically drawing the play in the sand for the quarterback over the headset. All right. Last one here. Christoph Boer says, Hey, Robert, Nate, really quick question for you. A couple of pods y'all did regarding the hall of very good and the hall of fame. Had me wondering what is the shortest possible career a player could have while still making it into the hall of fame? What statistics records or accolades would the player have to compile and how quickly in order to be selected as a finalist? I have a very quick answer to this. Okay. I think it's five years. Yeah. And the reason I think it's five years is Patrick Mahomes is a Hall of Famer today. Yeah. <laughs> so it's is. five years. He's had five years as a okay. starter. And yeah. I think that you win two MVPs in five years, you're oh. a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. And two like, Super Bowl MVPs. Done. Yeah. Uh, I, I said like I said, my bare minimum, bare, bare minimum that I'll even consider you into the Hall of Fame is what Terrell Davis did, which is four years of high end productivity. And that's basically going into what you're saying with five years, same thing. But that he only had seven year career, four years product producti- productivity, and three three year stretch really of top tier play. So that is like the bare minimum. Anyone and even MVP. that, even that, the playoffs, yes. what he did in the playoffs is a huge yes, part of that. Absolutely. I mean, Terrell Davis is. Oh my god, I'm looking at it right now. Holy mother of god! How many touches he had? No, just the, the numbers. Oh yeah, Terrell you went bonkers. Terrell Davis, okay, in <laughs> ninety-seven, in, right? Is, is in, ridiculous. In, in both. So in in ninety in ninety in ninety-seven, he had one hundred and twelve carries in four games. He had five hundred eighty-one yards, and eight <laughs> touchdowns in four games. In the playoffs, five, he had one hundred and forty-five yards a game. He averaged twenty-eight carries a game in the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> Okay, which is insane. Remember, remember we talked about having a, a schematic advantage is a huge thing in the NFL <laughs> right there. <laughs> he had eight touchdowns in four games in 1997. Okay? In 98, in 98, he averaged six yards a carry in their three playoff games. He had a hundred, averaged 156 rushing yards per game in those three playoff games before the, the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Oh so God. even that. The, those three or four years that you're talking about, without the playoff success, that doesn't happen. 
Yeah. So I, I think four to five years is yep. essentially like the minimum that you could actually yep. play. That's it. That, that's what it is. I, I need four years. You were the peak of your power. So you're the peak of the league. That's that's yeah. what I look at. You're at the top of the mountain or second at the top of the mountain. Like, and even with that, you need to be a transcendent player and you need special, to win Super Bowls yes. to, to get in. You need special seasons. You need an MVP. You need Super Bowl MVP. You need playoff runs. You need Super Bowl wins. Yes, absolutely. But I, th- I think Terrell Davis is kind of like, he's the bar. If you can pass that as far as anything longevity or anything like that or accolades then yeah then we're going to consider you that's that's just how i look at it anyways all right that's all we got sweet uh i'm gonna miss you buddy i think everyone everyone on this feed is gonna miss you but well deserved time off i hope you really enjoy it i hope you and jack spend a lot of quality time together i hope that you get some golfing as well (laughs) uh, while lauren's taking care of the little guy because you certainly deserve it It, appreciate um, you powering through and 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 being there for me and for the audience uh, even when he was born in the middle of the season is uh, pretty remarkable. So Aww. thank you very much for everything that you put in. Thank you, man. Ple- please enjoy the time because you deserve it. Thank you so it. much. That means a lot. I, I really appreciate it. You're making me tear up. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I actually am. Uh, no, I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It really is. I, I love doing the show. Uh, missing two of them during the season, even with the birth of my child, was still like <laughs> I was getting stir crazy even if I wasn't sleeping. But I, I'm very excited for this break. It's my coaching break. I'm taking the exact same days off that the coaches are. Uh, but I, I really appreciate that. It's very, very kind of you to say. And I, I'm going to miss doing the show, but I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this break as well. So it'll be a lot of fun. You'll be back before we even know it. And right. It'll, it'll be, be camp. we are getting going during training camp. So it'll be here, you know, in a month. Not that far. So please, guys, enjoy your 4th of July holiday. Nate, enjoy your break. I will be back on Wednesday with our first little show here in our post-Nate pre-training camp stretch. Excited about that. Excited for you guys to hear it for now. That's all we got. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.